seven years ago, or maybe even more, maybe nine years ago, when we first moved to uh, Ontario from Quebec, uh, I was home, we were home, the four of us. It was a, a townhouse where we lived. And uh, it was probably around 11 p.m. when I heard this on the door, very strongly. And I was, you know, coming from Rio de Janeiro, I said, well, 11 p.m., someone knocking on your door, that's not a good thing. And so I came out all prepared. And I said, <clears throat> I <clears throat> cleared my throat and said, who is this? And the person outside said, sir? I said, yes, you can talk. And she said, I think you left your lights on in, on your car. I said, thank you very much. So <laughs> I came out and fixed that. It was, turns out it was a very polite person and a concerned citizen that was trying to help me uh, not kill my, drain my battery, right? But we kind of view uh, our home, the place of where, uh, the place of our dwelling as almost a sacred space, right? Because that's, that's where we, uh, if we are not ourselves when we are outside of the home, that's the place we can be ourselves. And if we, if we are tired at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you live in a mansion or if you live in a, a very small apartment, that's your place. And so you kind of long for uh, coming back home and having your place and having your things. You know where your things are for the most part. And so you are there, you're comfortable with your place. But uh, Oswald, Oswald Chambers, he said once that God who made birds never made bird cages. It's men who make bird cages, and after a while we become cramped and can do nothing but chirp and stand on one leg. And the truth is that we need that, that feeling that we have a place to call home, but we can never get into a comfort zone that we are so comfortable that we don't do anything else, or we are so comfortable that we'll never admit welcoming someone else into the place of our dwelling. And that will eventually actually uh, prevent us, will eventually cripple us uh, from, you know, preventing us from being fully functional. If we do not go out, if we not invite people in, if we not talk to persons. Now, this is what I want to talk about today. Our text talks about the second coming of Jesus. And we look forward to the coming of Jesus. I look forward to the coming of Jesus as much as I believe you do. But there are certain people who focus more on, on the crisis that is ahead rather than on the major event which is the coming of Jesus. And so people look forward and, and in preparation to the crisis that is ahead. When I think we should actually, we should be prepared for whatever. But if we are right with God, we'll be prepared for just anything. And I want to be looking forward always to the glory that is ahead rather than to the crisis, because the crisis will be temporary. The crisis will come and will go before we know it. But the coming of Jesus is the most glorious event ahead. And that's what I look forward to. That's what I want to be prepared for. Because when He comes, this is going to be the greatest event of all history. You no longer come as a baby. You no longer come as a helpless uh, uh, helpless being, but he will come as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. 
He'll come on a white horse. He'll come on the clouds. He'll come surrounded by angels. He'll come on his throne. And he will come with glory. And that's what I'm preparing for. That's what I want to look forward to. But I go back to the question. Whether we want just to, to be in our comfort zone. Because we have been privileged with the truth. We've been privileged with the message that Jesus is coming. And we want to hang on to that. And we are not so much concerned whether or not other people have been already warned. And so, do we want to keep the status quo only? Do we want to keep doing just the same? And doing just more of the same? You know when you say, oh it's just more of the same. It seems that whatever the person is doing or whatever you're doing actually doesn't have any, any novelty to it anymore. And you simply don't care because it's just more of the same and more of the same. But I'll ask you this. It is, it is a great thing, it is a blessing that we have this place here to worship God. We have this nice building, we have heating, and we have fellowship. But what if, what if, and I'm going to ask you a series of questions which I'm asking you and I'm asking myself at the same time. What if on a given Sabbath... 50 new people would come through those doors and would come to our church. And the first question I want to ask ourselves, including myself, is do we want that to begin with? Do we want 50 new people to come here through the doors? Or do we want just to keep the status quo? It is, it is good now. I'm comfortable here. I have enough space in the pew to accommodate myself. If 50 other people were to come here, probably some of us would have to be standing. And this is not a rhetorical question. I'm asking this so that we may really think about it and, and really decide whether or not that's something we want. So think about it. Would, would I be glad to see many people coming, looking for fellowship, looking for Christ, or would that bother me? As far as I am concerned, would that be a reason for joy? Or would I be bothered by that? Now think about it with me. Would I be willing to give up my seat to a newcomer? Would I be willing to reach out and, and let the newcomer read from my, my bulletin? Right? Would I uh, lend my, my Bible to the person? Would I be willing to let them read from my Bible? Would I be willing to share my hymnal if the words were not up there on the screen to share my hymnal with the person? Maybe that's too much of a disturbance. Or maybe that's what I'm looking for. If that were to happen today, if 50 new people would come here or next Sabbath, how would you honestly feel about it? Would you be concerned with how do they dress? How are they dressed to be concerned with how do they look like? How do they smell? Or would you rather be willing to know more about them? Would you rather be willing to find out who is the human being behind the shell? Would you rather be willing to try to find out who the person is? What they're going through? Try to find out what made them come to church? I got to tell you that... This is exactly why Christ founded the church. This is exactly why Christ placed the church on earth. 
You see this man, his name was John and Andrews, John Andrews. He's one of the pioneers of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. He's one of the early Seventh-day Adventists. And actually, our main university in the world, uh, established in Berrien Springs in Michigan, actually has its name after this man, Andrews University. And he was called to speak at the, at the inauguration, at the dedication, rather, of the Battle Creek Tabernacle, uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church in Battle Creek, Michigan. And while he was speaking, he said this, this house has been erected in the hope that it will be the means of turning many to the testimonies of God and leading them to pay attention to the grand event which we believe is impending, the judgment and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the sacred commitment that we have to uphold God's truth as expressed in the Bible. But what exactly did John Andrews mean when he said that this house, this building has been established as a means of turning people's attention to the judgment and to the second coming? I'm sure he was not talking about the building itself. Because the physical structure cannot say anything. The, the church is more than just the building. The church is the people who form it. And so that's why when people come to the Belleville Seventh-day Adventist Church, it may feel like, it may look like a bit different than other Seventh-day Adventist church, churches. Because even though we hold on to the same fundamental beliefs, the people who are here in the church make up this church. And so that's what surely Andrews was talking about. He was talking about the fact that the building was there to accommodate believers who would in turn point people to the soon coming of Jesus and to the judgment. Like I said at the beginning, this building has been sitting here for 50, just over 50 years. And this building stands up here every day of the week. When we are done with the service today, we are not going to tear it down and take it home. And then next Sabbath we come and, and put it up again. It is here every day of the week. But there is one thing that happens that while most churches are gathering on Sunday for their worship, we gather here on the Saturday, on the biblical seventh day of the week. So that in itself is very unique, isn't it? Isn't that unique? It is. So that in itself is very unique. But my question is, what else can others say is unique about this church? What is it that is unique about this church? Is it our humanitarian work? Is it our emphasis on healthy living? Is it that we have a worldwide educational system? What is unique about the Belleville Seventh-day Adventist Church? What about our relationships? Ellen White, who was one of the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, she said these words, which I find very relevant and very timely even. And these words are found in the book Acts of the Apostles on page 9, right at the beginning of the book. And she says, the church is, God, the church is God's appointed agency for what? For the salvation of men. So I'll stop here. It's not simply a social club. It's not simply the place where you come and you sit and you receive a hopefully good message. 
But it's a place that has been appointed as an agency for the salvation of man. It was organized for service. And its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. And I'll stop here again. And then we hear this and we think, yes, we contribute our offerings so that missionaries can go out and carry the gospel to the world. Yes, that's absolutely true. But we must remember that the world is coming to North America. And the world has been coming to North America for a few decades now. And we have the responsibility of carrying the gospel to the world that is just around us. I came from the world. I came from South America. There are people here who came from Africa. Others who came from Asia. Others who came even from uh, British Columbia. But we all come here. It's the world coming here. And we have the mission to carry the gospel to the world. And she continues, From the beginning it has been God's plan that through His church shall be reflected to the world His fullness and His sufficiency. The members of the church, those whom He has called out of darkness into His marvelous light, are to show forth His glory. The church is the repository of the riches of the grace of God. And so I'll stop here again. Because we might have the impression that what this is saying is that the church is the repository of the riches of the grace of Christ. And so we accumulate all those riches and we keep them. We want to make sure that they are well kept. We want to make sure that everything that God has revealed and the truth about the end times and the sanctuary message, we keep that very well preserved and we keep that for ourselves. But even though the church is the repository of riches, of the riches of the grace of Christ, through the church will eventually be made manifest, even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, the final and full display of the love of God. Ephesians 3.10 So I'll ask you again, according to what is said in this statement, eventually it will be made manifest the final and full display of what? The love of God. The print is small, right? But eventually the final and full display of what? The love of God will be made manifest. Even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Even the enemy will see this clear manifestation of God's love in his people. And so, I want to turn now to the, to, the, to the counsel we find, the recommendations we find in 1 Thessalonians, from Paul to the Thessalonians, and by extension to us, to the church. Because if the full display of God's love is going to be manifested in us, there is something we need to do. You know, I always say this, and uh, the Bible says that, and Ellen White says that, Salvation is by faith through grace. Salvation is free of charge. You don't have to pay anything for it. But if you don't want it, you won't have it. And so we must cooperate with God. There is nothing I can do to commend myself to God, but there is something I must do. And to accept is the first thing. And to live according to the calling that God has made is the second thing. 
that we must do to be able to receive this salvation eventually. To be able to be counted among those who are God's people, God's believers. And so what is it that Paul is encouraging us to do here? So in the context of the text that Liana read this morning, which talks about the second coming, the day when Christ will come, and that we know that we are not going to precede those who are now dead in Christ, they will be raised and we'll meet them in the air and we'll meet Jesus with them in the air and we'll be caught up together and we'll live with Christ forever and ever. And then the Bible says, comfort one another with these words. Now in that context, I want you to pay attention with this, to this. And both in the previous chapter, in chapter 3 and in this chapter, chapter 4, Paul says several things that we ought to pay attention the first thing is a prayer that Paul is making for the Thessalonians. And he says in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians 3 verses 12 and 13. Paul says, And may the Lord make you what? Increase, Increase and abound in love. That's what we saw in the, in the previous Quote in the previous statement I read from Ellen White, right? She says that the, the full display and manifestation of God's love will be found in His people. And so Paul is saying to the Thessalonians and to us, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, with all his saints. And then in chapter 4. The chapter from which comes our uh, scripture reading for today. In chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul says this. Finally brethren. We urge you and exhort in the Lord Jesus. That you should what? Abound. How much? More and more. Just as you received from us. How you ought to walk. And to please God. And then further down in chapter 4 still, verses 9 to 12, here's what Paul says. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you do what? Increase more and more and how much more and more that you also aspire to lead a quiet life to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing so what paul is saying to the thessalonians is that instead of simply doing just the same every day Instead of just getting into your comfort zone and saying what I'm doing is good, what I'm doing is commendable, and that is fine. And then I come to church on Sabbath and I sit in the pew and I uh, enjoy the program and I may even participate in the program. And I talk to people politely because first of all I'm Canadian and Canadians are polite. And I treat everyone with politeness and uh, I say bye and I go home and I wait until next week. What Paul is saying that instead of just doing that. 
instead of doing just more of the same every day, day after day, day in, day out, instead of doing just the average, instead of doing just the bare minimum, instead of plateauing at a certain level and not growing anymore, Paul is saying that you should be increasing, you should be doing more and more and more. So instead of doing just the same, day after day, more of the same, day after day, day after day, day after day. What Paul is saying is different. It's not that you should be doing just that same thing every day. Because it's comfortable, because you, you already got the, the, the knack of it. What Paul is saying is that we should be doing more of the same, but in the sense that we are increasing more and more and more and more every day. Not this way, but this way. Growing up and increasing in love and increasing and abounding in all those good things. Now I've been speaking here for the past 15, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 20 minutes I guess or so. And I have not yet seen the 50 newcomers come into the church. They haven't arrived yet. But had they come... We would have a chance to be really practical about those questions I asked in the beginning. But that's fine that they didn't come all today. Because there's something that we can do and something that we probably must do before they can arrive here. We need to grapple with those questions ourselves. We need to ask those questions to ourselves and decide what kind of church we really want. I know that the Lord knows your heart. The Lord knows the intentions of your heart. The Lord knows that you have a desire to live with Him forever. The Lord knows that we are His children. The Lord knows that we have confessed publicly that we love Him. Most of us have been baptized in the waters. Most of us have publicly alleged, our, uh, publicly declared our allegiance to the Lord. But the Lord does not want us to stay where we are. He wants us, as Paul said, to increase and abound more and more. He wants us not to plateau. Sometimes people get overly concerned about how the last day events, final day events will be exactly. But what the word of the Lord is telling us today is that we need to increase, increase and abound in love so that we'll be safe enough to secure, safe, safe enough to securely navigate through all those things. I want to bring you back here to 1 Thessalonians 3, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. And remember that this is, Paul is, this is what Paul is talking in the context of the second coming. He's, he's preparing the way to talk about the glorious coming of Jesus. And he mentions it right here in 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13. And he says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all His saints. So do you want to be ready for Jesus to come? Do you want to be established in holiness? Do you want to be established and, and perceived as someone who is blameless? By the unfallen beings, then we need to increase and abound in love more and more and more. 
And I know this may sound just theoretical. I know this may sound too philosophical because what is love? This word has been, uh, uh, has been uh, abused, right? Throughout the centuries and throughout and, and, and in recent decades, decades, sorry. It's been uh, uh, abused and maybe we don't really grasp what the meaning is. But the Bible has a clear picture, a clear definition of what, what love is. And so Paul is saying that we need to increase in love and abounding love. And so let me try to be a little more practical now as we close here. Because love is a very uh, broad word. And so in practice, what can we do? First, which is not even there, but first thing, it's, it's point number zero, if I would say. You know, just opening a parenthesis here. When I was with, it is written, uh, we had a function at a, a hotel on a given year, and there was uh, uh, an outbreak, a virus outbreak, that after the function, many people got sick, really sick, and so we found out that it had to do probably with some, not that we found out, we sus suspected it had to do with some food that was served, or maybe someone who was already sick, and came to that function and spread the virus. And uh, when people who are investigating this, they use the expression, we need to find who was patient zero. So that's patient zero is the one who actually originated it and transmitted to patient one at some point. And so what I'm going to say here is, is point zero. Point zero is, uh, what is point zero? Okay, here's point zero. If you're already doing all these things here, because I said I will try to be more practical, because love is a very broad word, right? And so we'll try to be more practical. And the first thing is, we need to be humble. We need to be humble to understand that we are always learning. And there is always something for us to learn. And this applies to you, and it applies to me. But here are some things I'd like to say. We need to, first of all, number one, improve the quality of our relationships. And I say that any person coming to this church, if they are able to perceive that there is a real sense of community, if they are able to feel a sense of community, a sense of brotherly love, a sense of fraternity, they will want to stay here. But the... the the thing is, as I said in point zero, we have to ask those questions ourselves. We have to be humble enough and realize that we need to learn. And so all those questions I asked in the beginning, if this is really, is really what I want, if this is really what I'm looking for, we have to ask ourselves. And once we ask ourselves those questions, I would recommend to you, I would suggest, that we improve the quality of our relationships that we move beyond the simple superficial, uh, how are you? How is it going? How are you doing? We move beyond that toward a, a real, deeper interest in the other person. That we listen to the other person, that we give them time. Now someone may say, I'm already doing that, Pastor. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. 
But I'll go back to the words of Paul. Even if you're doing that, Paul says, increase and abound more and more and more. So there is no limit to it, actually. Let me challenge all of us to listen to others. This may be challenging at first, but I encourage you to ask God for help with that. I encourage you to take our fellowship lunchtime, which we're going to have today, by the way. And you hang around different people every time you come. You just don't sit with the same people every time. You sit with different people and you, 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 you ask questions and you try to listen to them and find what their life story is all about. Expand your network, right? Get to know people's names. Memorize their names. There is no sweetest sound to the ear of any human being than their, their own name. Now, the second thing I want to say is what you're seeing there. There's been a, an issue here, so I, I see it's repeating. But anyway, the second thing is find a prayer partner. And I'm aware that we have people who are prayer partners in this church here. I'm aware of that. Praise the Lord for that. But if you don't have one, find one. If you cannot connect with the person every day, connect once a week at least. And pray with them over the phone. If you cannot meet in person, it can be over the phone. Talk to the person, pray with them. Because by doing that, you have the opportunity to share. You have the opportunity to share your issues. You have the opportunity to listen to the person's issues. Partnering prayer allows you to to share the joys and share the sorrows with that person. The ups and downs of your days. Be friends with everybody. But there will be some people you'll be more closer. You'll be closer with. And so partner with one of them as a prayer partner. And the third thing is study God's word. Study God's word. And I'll share this with you. Uh, I'll say this, those three points there, with those three points you have connection with God and you have connection with your brothers and sisters. You have connection with God and you have connection with someone or two or three people you may be closer with that will be helping you, will be building up, you know, on your faith and your fellowship and your confidence in one another and in God. But those three things are there. But the, the, the third thing is actually the first one. We must study the word of God for ourselves. We must spend time in the word. And actually on an upcoming date I'm going to be preaching about how to study the Bible. Which may sound very simplistic, very simple. But how can we study the Bible and get more from our personal study as we read the Bible? You know the Bible... Most Bibles do not have any pictures. It's just letters. It's just words. It may look boring to some people. But how can we spend time in the Word and find that really encouraging, stimulating, and learn from that? And then find a prayer partner and increase the quality of our relationships. Since the beginning of this year, I'll share this with you. Since the beginning of this year, we haven't publicized this, but I have a group of two people here in this church. Uh, two people with whom I have a weekly meeting. And it's not in person because we live apart from one another, but it's on the phone. 
And this is something we've been doing throughout the year in preparation for next year. Because next year, our desire is to expand this network. And have these two people replicate with other people. And then those people will replicate the same with other people. And it's a, it's a, a, a small group meeting, right? Where we, we meet and we study the word and we share. Each one will share what they have studied during the week on a certain topic. And then we'll pray for one another and we'll build up one another. And this is something we're looking forward to next year to implement into a wider group of people. And uh, it may take time, but eventually the entire church will be reached with that program. But Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 and to 18, and I will end with this. I really would like to encourage you to work on these three points here, right? That we have talked about. Work on these three points. If you have made notes about this, good. If you have not, you can memorize them or you can take a picture. But study God's word. Improve the quality of your relationships and find a prayer partner. This will eventually change the church and, and help us grow and increase and abound more and more. And while we do this, we'll be preparing ourselves for the coming of Jesus. As Paul says, this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Someone said, people may not remember exactly what you did or what you said, but they will always remember how you made them feel. And so, brothers and sisters, this is my appeal to you today. We are coming to the end of the year, and I truly encourage you to spend more time in the Word, to improve the quality of our relationships, and to find prayer partners in this church. And we'll see things change both in our lives and in the lives of those with whom we are praying and in the life of the church. And by doing this, we'll be prepared to meet Jesus when he comes without fear, without any, uh, any uh, fear and without any, any problems whatsoever because we'll be established in holiness and in the truth. May God bless us all.